Hey everyone, welcome to Hooked on a Feline. A podcast where your favorite English nerds, MM, that's me, and Margo, howdy, do a deep dive into Aaron Hunter's Warriors, rereading our childhood obsession. In preparation for this, we have we have decided since this uh this episode really introduces us to the to the other clans beyond the allegiances just listing them out we have taken the quiz on warriorcats.com for which clan are you yeah unlike the harry potter sorting system no one really makes this decision for you in the warriors series it's just sort of what you're born into but, you know, we got as close as we possibly could to figuring it out with a beautiful 10-question quiz asking some, you know, really deep questions. Yeah, it reminded me, there, the Warriors website has undergone many different iterations. I remember taking this quiz as a kid, and it's, it's changed a little bit, but it's the same thing. You know, it's any really, like, generic, like... Not one of those, like, you, co- you quizzes where you, you know, choose, like, a Taylor Swift or, like, a Mother Mother lyric or something. It's, you know, like, kids' quizzes. Like, you know, like, what do you like to do in the summer? What would you do if someone bullied your friend? Like, how messy is your room? Like, <laughs> there was one question, though, that was, like, what would your friend say your worst quality is? Which is such a, like, a... <laughs> yeah, like, Margo, tell me, tell me what you think my worst quality is right now. Right now? Yeah. I don't know. We have to reschedule our recordings all the time, but I think that's one of both of us. So (laughs) yeah, maybe that's our worst quality is that we have too many notes to take about this book. Too many, too many deep thoughts about cat books. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just a really weird question to ask, especially for, I presume kids. Like, yeah. I mean, it it does make sense. It's more, it's very well-rounded. Um, I got, I got Sky Clan, which we have not been introduced to yet, but it is, it is a clan full of cats who have specialized little jumping muscles who can achieve that eight foot vertical leap. Um, hence the name Sky Clan. Uh, they're, they're, they're sort of a part. I, I'm glad that I got them because I, I love Sky Clan as a kid. They were, they're probably my favorite aside from maybe River Clan. Um, just because I found their story so interesting and not to, you know, spoil too much, but they're not really part of the four clans that we're dealing with in these first few series. They're not like part of that whole dynamic. They have their own thing going on and their stories are all about like, like reconstructing and like rebuilding this lost culture, which is, I think, very interesting. And, you know, not to say that the um, the main series, at least the initial ones, are like, you know, engaging and have their own, you know, diverse and interesting plots. But it was just something that I thought was really cool and really fun to sort of like, you know, go to a different place, get to like, witness this, you know, new kind of tale. Reading the Greypaw manga was really what like, actually made me read the whole series and then I read the the Sky Clan manga and I loved them so much. I just love the illustrations and found it easy to digest as a kid. So I'm I'm very happy that I am part of the agile and determined and conflict avoidant clan Sky Clan. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's actually also talking about this, interesting that you're in Sky Clan. Um and that we can sort of bring it up because they and we'll learn this later sort of leave the clan structure because of human interaction and some environmental issues, right? I'm remembering this correctly. And we start to get a little bit of that in chapter five, and we'll get into it a little bit more, but we have talk of the two-leg place, but also the tree-cut place, and sort of how humans are interacting with nature and how that plays into how Sky Clan is no longer one of the clans. Yeah, it's it's cool. I I think I mentioned in our first episode, like, oh, you know, like we get the two-leg stuff through Rusty, but they don't really, you know the two like influence doesn't factor in that much. It it actually really does. And I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised to see that that sort of coming, coming into our own. But yeah, well, talk about yourself. What did you get? What, what cat house were you sorted into? <laughs> yeah. So I, in stark contrast, um, am in Thunder Clan. So the fierce and brave, Ooh. the clan we know the most about at this point in time. So you got the one we know the least about. I got the one that we are firmly rooted in for this first series and for a fair amount of all of the books total, I would say, um, at least as far as I read, is pretty based in ThunderClan. Um, definitely the Gryffindor of the clans. 
I would say, especially with our focus on our main hero being there, um, which is interesting because I'm a Hufflepuff um, in Harry Potter terms. But, you know, we know a lot about ThunderClan. They're close to each other. I always wanted to be in ThunderClan as a kid. I really like Rusty, um, as he is known now, for now. Um, <laughs> and I just like that they live in the forest. I think it's pretty simple. I loved the forest imagery of where they live and their catching of mice. And it's nice to think of myself as, you know, courageous and loyal and the main character. I'm not someone who thinks of myself as the main character very often. So thanks, warriors.com, for telling me that sometimes I can be the main character. Cue that TikTok song about with the, there's a trend where you were the main character and it was a song, but I don't remember what song it was. That's funny. Yeah, you told me you really, you expected to get Wind Clan. So that must have been, I'm glad that we both got our childhood favorites. I think that's very sweet. And it's nice because, in addition to reading these books and thinking about them more deeply, we're also, you know, connecting with our childhood selves in a way while we're in college. So Yeah, reaching reaching across time. Getting back to getting back to when reading was not just a requirement. Alrighty, let's go into the summary. In chapter three, Rusty has the mouse hunting dream again. But this time there are no warriors present. After he wakes up, he has a little existential crisis on whether or not to leave his kitty pet life behind. I wonder what choice he'll make. He tells Smudge about his adventure in the woods and that he's decided to go join ThunderClan. Smudge attempts to dissuade him, but to no avail. He returns to the woods to meet with Lionheart and begin his new life. Lionheart and Whitestorm, another senior warrior, lead Rusty to the ThunderClan camp. After the explanation of some camp rituals, Blue Star announces that Rusty will join ThunderClan as an apprentice. This is met with opposition from many of the cats on the grounds that he's a kitty pet. Longtail is the loudest among them, and Rusty challenges him to prove his worth. In the fight, Rusty's collar is broken, along with his connection to his old life. The freedom from his collar announces that StarClan approves of Rusty becoming an apprentice, according to Blue Star. As his ginger coat glowed like fire, his new name will be Firepaw, she announces. He is then greeted by many members of the clan, his new family, and is tackled by his soon-to-be best friend, Graypaw. Just as everything seems to settle down, Ravenpaw stumbles back into camp, alone. He is left with Tigerclaw and Redtail on a sunrise mission. But his announcement is dark. Redtail, the ThunderClan deputy, is dead. In Chapter 4, Ravenpaw's tale continues to share the news they ran into RiverClan warriors at the Sunning Rocks, the location we saw in the battle during the prologue. And Oakheart, RiverClan's deputy, was among them. They were ambushed by many RiverClan warriors, and Oakheart pinned Redtail. Ravenpaw is then so weak from the battle, blood loss, and shock that he faints. Spotted Leaf, the medicine cat, hurries to help him. Then Tigerclaw returns, carrying the lifeless body of Redtail. With the body, Tigerclaw brings the rest of the story that Oakheart killed Redtail. But Tigerclaw was also able to kill Oakheart. The rest of the clan begins to pay their last respects to Redtail by sharing tongues one more time. Graypaw explains to Firepaw that Redtail has already joined StarClan, the divine clan of cats who watch over every cat in the clans. Redtail will be a new star on the horizon. As the morning begins, Graypaw and Firepaw go check on Ravenpaw, where they watch as Tigerclaw is more worried about the wasted training he's given Ravenpaw than the well-being of his apprentice. After being reprimanded by Spotted Leaf, the two leave, and Graypaw gives Firepaw a tour of the camp. They meet and share food with the elders, who are much more excited to have Firepaw than the warriors. Here, Firepaw eats his first mouse. It is delicious. The elders begin to discuss who the new deputy will be, as Bluestar has to name one before Moon High. Bluestar names Lionheart to be the new deputy, but Firepaw notices that there is a hunger in Tigerclaw's eyes before the announcement that disappears without a great reaction when he learns he is not the deputy. Those closest to Redtail begin their night-long vigil and will bury him at sunrise. Graypaw and Firepaw head to the apprentice's den, where Firepaw meets Sandpaw, and they all settle in for the night. Despite the many trials of his first day, Firepaw sees ThunderClan as his home. And then, in Chapter 5, it opens with Firepaw asleep again, but he wakes quickly for his first day of apprentice training. Lionheart and Tigerclaw meet them outside the camp and begin a tour of their territory. Firepaw does not yet have a mentor, so he will be training under Tigerclaw and Lionheart for the time being. They discuss the two-leg place, the border with RiverClan, and the four trees. 
This is where the borders of each clan meet. Four massive oaks mark this spot, where each month, on the full moon, all four clans, Thunder Clan, River Clan, Wind Clan, and Shadow Clan, meet under a truce. They leave, and then Firepaw encounters his first Thunderpath, or road as we know it. It marks the border between Thunder Clan and Shadow Clan, and the monsters, cars, on it keep this border relatively safe. They return to the camp, and Graypaw and Firepaw eat dinner with the other apprentices. Dustpaw and Sandpaw get to go to the gathering at the Fortress tonight, and the other two settle down to sleep. The next day, the two are joined by Ravenpaw, and Firepaw begins to learn how to hunt. They are each allowed to go hunt on their own, and Firepaw catches his first mouse. He is a true ThunderClan apprentice now. Yeah, so we start chapter three, as we talked about in the summary, with another dream sequence. Um, I don't know if we want to get into dreams quite yet, but chapter five also begins with one. They're often of rusty hunting, but in this one, he is sort of going back into the forest and sees all of the eyes of lots of different cats as he walks back in. And so I was thinking about whether or not this is Star Clan guiding him into the clan itself. We talked about that mysterious tale that I have a little bit more to say about later. In the woods, before he meets Graypaw, um, and the eyes of Starkin looking down on him, and sort of the light of the stars, as we'll learn later, um, I think is connected to that. Yeah, I'm so, I'm so glad you picked up on that, because I, yeah, I have that in my notes as well. Like, just even bringing in the whole, like, free will talk from last one with, like, Star Clan sort of, like, directing versus, like, you know, real interfering or just suggesting things. I think the phrase was just, the clan cats had entered his dream world. And I like that. I like that that's, you know, they're bringing it in. Um, and, you know, the he talks about, Rusty talks about the restless longing he feels. Yeah, I like that. I like thinking about, you know, uh, maybe his dreams are, you know, Star Clan reaching out to him and trying to pull him into this forest. Yeah, and I think there's that, we see him physically being very connected to the forest and to the clan cats before this. Um, you know, he wants to go out and hunt. He's very interested in the smells, and we'll get more into sense later. But he's feels connected to it that way, but now it feels like he is more spiritually connected now that he knows about the clans. So maybe Star Clan was sending him the, the mouse dreams before, but he didn't know about them. He didn't know about the six of the other cats. So now he can see them. Um, I don't think that's a great theory, but he has that greater connection with them um, in addition to just the instinctual one. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool to get that sort of sense of his, you know, budding spirituality or, you know, <laughs> connection beyond just aptitude. And I like how that is compared to Smudge and how he's talking to his old friend. And we get, like, not just, you know, Rusty's sense of, like, you know, fitness for the forest, but we get a lot of interiority and a lot more of Rusty's character in these chapters, even in just in chapter three, where he's like, he's very honest with Smudge. He doesn't, you know, embellish on the fight. He's like, yeah, you know, three warriors showed up. Smudge is like, oh, did you did you fight them all? Did you did you get them all? And you know, whereas maybe a character like Graypaw would have been like, oh yeah, I beat them all back. Rusty's just very sweetly honest. He's like, yeah, no, I didn't really fight him. They just like, they talked and they asked me to join. Yeah, and then just that part where they're like, he goes on his sort of little farewell tour before uh, ultimately, you know, deciding to, or after his decision, but, you know, before going the following uh, sunrise, going back into the clan, where he just goes, like, to his old haunts that talks to all the cats he knew growing up. I like that. I like that he has something to walk away from. That's something we keep seeing with Rusty. You brought up his honesty, um, and... He's not bashful, but he is so, I'm trying to think of the right word, like realistic and like humble and down to earth. I think Rusty is a very down to earth cat and we see that more, but he genuinely cares about everyone he interacts with and cares about cats to a greater level, even, you know, from Smudge, his friend, to Henry, the other cat, to then his whole clan. He ends this chapter talking about how, um, or I guess chapter four, um, with how ThunderClan is his home now, and it only takes, you know, a couple of hours for him to get there. 
Yeah, this this really does happen in a short span of time. I, I'm just like realizing like, oh yeah, all the talk with Smudge like happened at night, like right before that sunrise. This is really, we're really speeding along here. But yeah, I like how it doesn't it doesn't take that long, and he's just already such a so, so predisposed to being in this sort of community where you care for everyone that you know he maybe even too much so as we talk about his you know extending the empathy a little more than the um the clan cats sort of have set into their coda or you know even literal code of code yeah. of conduct the warrior code as we get our first inklings of that here yeah so then you know rusty goes into the forest he meets with lionheart and we meet white storm as we talked about in the summary and they go to the camp we learn about the clan from inside of their camp you know rusty gets a little tired on the way um but we get into thunder clan um, and I just want to bring up this connection that we sort of talked a little bit about last week, um, at least in our discussions, perhaps not in the episode, but about the clans and their sort of basis in Scottish clans just a little bit. We've talked about blood politics with Rusty not being a clan cat and, you know, therefore not being as good. But from my research on Scottish clans, thanks Wikipedia, I learned that a lot of them are not based on blood relationships. They're based on territories. So whoever was, you know, living in a certain part of Scotland, they are all in the same clan. Um, and it's from Gaelic, and it means family descendants or even broader kindred. Um, but it's not family in a, like, you know, this person is a descendant of this person is a descendant of this person. It is in a much broader sense of community, which I think is what we see with the clan or with Thunder Clan um, and with the other clans of the cats. No, oh, that's, I, I didn't realize that. Cause you know, when I think of clan, I think of, you know, like, oh, you know, the MacReadies or, you know, like a specific family name. That's, that's good to hear. And like, yeah, I definitely see those connections there. That's super cool. Thank you for bringing that in. Yeah. And the names, a lot of it was, um, so they sort of outdate a lot of surnames, Scottish clans. So often it would be that they would take the last name of their leader so they're not necessarily related at all, but, you know, they're all under Thunderclan here. Maybe they are all, you know, Macduffs. Um, <laughs> so it's related in that way, but they're not all necessarily blood related, which also means that at least in this world, they can reproduce in warriors. Um, it would be pretty bad if they were all related in one clan and, you know, inter interclan um, relationships with other clans are uh, taboo in this world, mm -hmm. as we'll learn later. But that just makes him that much more enticing. Yep. <laughs> Good for drama. Always about the drama. I I like I like that we get to see Lionheart being like a really good mentor character from the outset. Like, you know, he's like testing Rusty, like, can you notice another cat near here? And later on he's like sort of like showing him how to deal with Longtail, which we'll get to. Yeah, and of course he is later chosen to be deputy. So I like that I like that we have this character who's sort of introducing Rusty to the like bonds and you know the loyalty and the way that clan like he's he's really the like the like the archetypal warrior you know like Lionheart even like Richard the Lionheart like very you know this is <laughs> sorry ladies this is what the ideal warrior looks like <laughs> can't get much better than Lionheart mm -hmm. yeah so once we're in the clan itself we also see the beginnings of a lot of rituals that we'll learn more about i think the first one we're introduced to is sharing tongues which is sort of a communal grooming and gossip time so it's like mm -hmm. clean and chat about everything that's going on um you know they lick each other and later we see it with um red tail's death we see them all sharing tongues with him one last time as he travels to star clan um and we see it Sort of constantly, I think it's like the first thing they do every morning is they sort of all catch up. Or am I wrong? I, I think I think he said at, let me let me flip back, but I think he said it was at Sun High. Actually, yeah, that might be right. For some reason, I thought that, uh, hmm, I, for some reason, I. Wait, is Sun High when this is sunrise or when it's the highest in the sky? <laughs> yeah, that's what, I'm a little confused about that. I think I, I put it as. I, I thought that it was dawn for the first time because you'd go like, tell me, like, tell me your answer by dawn or about if you should join the clan. But then later, I think he says sun high when, you know, the sun is highest and it's warm, like, like a lunch break, you know, that seemed more. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, everybody goes to the little water fountain <laughs> in a, in a workplace sitcom. Here they just mm -hmm. lick each other. 
Yeah, the like uh, yeah, Steve Carell just like licking Rain Wilson and talking about <laughs> deputy deputy <laughs> to the leader. Yeah. This this God, I know I know the office has been overhyped and vampire resurrected and stabbed and talked to this so many times, but I would like to try to give warrior names to the office characters. I think that that is a <laughs> Oh, I think that's a game we should do at some point. Of course. Yes, but going on, going back to the rituals, um, sharing tongues, I like that. I like how normal cat behavior is both, like, grounded as, you know, like, that's what cats do. You know, they groom each other as a social action. Monkeys do that. A lot of animals do that. But it's also, like, explained and it's given a name, which is, you know, very, very warrior speak. You have New Leaf Sun High, the sharing of tongues. It's very, it's very cool. I, I like it. I also like how much how much ceremony there is around all of all of the words and all of the sort of like it it feels very oral history from like from like the blatant things to like a blue star having her you know her standard announcement that I'm sure we remember let all cats old enough to catch their own play join here beneath the high rock for a clan meeting you know if they as they you know whenever they move or I'm assuming indifferent actually it is interesting I don't think at this point I'm sure we will have you know it would be interesting to see how much of these rituals are shared between different clans. And I don't know if we'll get an inkling of that in this first series. Probably not. Definitely not this first book. But it is interesting to see how many of these rituals are shared. Like, what's a Thunder Clan thing versus is this, a, is this just a clan thing? Especially yeah. as we learn about, like, the gathering later on. Well, yeah, and it seems like at least my perception from early on, and I think I had this as a child and I'm sure it will be challenged later, is that the day-to-day life of all of the clans are pretty similar, except for who they interact with. And like River Clan likes swimming more, but it feels to me like I imagine the lives of each clan being pretty similar. You know, they go on patrols, they all hunt, they're all trying to keep their clan alive. They all have the apprentice system. Um, they all have the queens and the kits and the medicine cats. They're just separated by these boundaries they've created and these sort of family units that are fighting against each other. Exactly. And, you know, when, when Rusty brings up later or Firepaw when he's then, uh, which I, I want to talk about when he's actually called Firepaw. I think that's an interesting moment. Like, not not just, you know, the ceremony, but when in the when the text, like the descriptors start calling yeah. him Firepaw. Because it's 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 a little while after he's named, like it's a few sentences. Anyways, when Firepaw, you know, has his moment when they're out and learning about all the clans, when he's like, you know, why don't we all why don't we all work together? And it's it seems very logical to me. Like, uh, yeah, he's yeah he talks about <laughs> Firepaw the globalist <laughs> starts um starts yeah suggesting the clans work together, especially with the shortages. And honestly, that's that seems pretty well like defined in a good <laughs> a good reason. Exactly when when you fight each other, you know, Redtail dies. Redtail was a warrior who was both protecting them and helping them get enough to eat. And so if you're expending your energy fighting each other, um, then you're it's going to be harder to have enough food in general versus if they were all working together, if they had a truce longer, then they would all be doing better. And yet they will not put aside the, I guess, prejudices. Um, and pride um, <laughs> that they have about their own clans to keep themselves alive. Yeah, I mean, we we see. I mean, the the fight with River Clan is explicitly over. Like River Clan, they don't have enough prey, which is the same as Thunder Clan. They're like, we're taking Sunning Rocks, not for later. Like later on, I think later battles for Sunning Rocks, where they explicitly talk about like, oh, it's such a nice place to sun yourself. But this one is, they need more territory for more food and. Even that, like, you know, that grounds it, you know, then why not work together? But, you know, Tiger Claw calls that treacherous, as he will. And even Lionheart, even the, you know, good warrior, paragon, noble man says, you know, long alliances bring trouble. But why? Yeah, yeah exactly. And they, and in that, that same battle, Redtail dies and Oakheart dies. Two deputies of clans are killed. Yeah, that's, that's a big thing. The, like, lines of succession have to be rewritten. Um, and I think that 
if we want to jump to it, gets into Tiger Claw and his suspicious behavior. Oh my gosh, of course. We can we can talk we can talk about Tiger Claw. <laughs> Ugh. So we even get a little bit of it in our chapters, you know, from yesterday, where Tiger Claw doesn't want to retreat. But when we hear about Redtail's death, Ravenpaw comes into camp, you know, bloody and exhausted, and says that Redtail is dead. And Tiger Claw isn't with him. Tigerclaw went out on that mission, Tigerclaw, Redtail, and Ravenpaw, to patrol near the Sunning Rocks. And Tigerclaw doesn't come back immediately. And then Tigerclaw is the one who fills in the story. Ravenpaw passes out. Mm-hmm. Very, very dramatically. I love the ending of him going, Redtail is dead. He slumps over. And then also in the middle of his story, um, which I think it's interesting, he jumps up onto higher. I'm just so captivated by it, all the rituals and everything surrounding the um the high rock and all of the words that they do with all their little ceremonies. But it's funny that, you know, this place where a leader just made a proclamation, this scrawny little kid. Well, I guess it is it is a moment of some gravity. He's announcing that the deputy has died. And then he does just slump over and faint. And faint. Poor I guy. know, poor Ravenpaw. Um, but this and this is not a plot point that I remember. So I'm just gonna say this. But I'm thinking this whole time, is Tiger Claw the one that killed Redtail? We hear that Oakheart has pinned Redtail from Ravenpaw, and then he faints, and then Tigerclaw comes in and tells us that um, Redtail's dead, and that Oakheart did it, and that then he killed Red, and then he killed Oakheart after that. But then, when the elders later are talking about who's going to be deputy next, Tigerclaw listens. Firepaw then um, talks about how how in tune with that. Tigerclaw already is. And then later he notes as Lionheart is announced deputy that right before it, Tigerclaw has this hunger in his eyes. Like he, that's what he wants. And I remember that that's what he wants from the last read um, from, you know, years and years ago. But how far is he willing to go, you know, if he killed Redtail, which I don't remember. <laughs> but um, we already just see that hunger for power in Tigerclaw. Yeah, wow, it is, it is really, it's really clarifying for me how much, and I don't mean to sound like mean or anything, because, you know, it's not like, it's like, oh, wow, you really know nothing. But it's, it's stunning to me how much I'm remembering, because I definitely remember everything surrounding this sort of scenario. And these suspicions you have are, I think, well-founded, both as just thinking through these and thinking about how sinister he's portrayed from the outset, like Tiger Claw, even the name, like he's set up as a foil, the lion heart, like pretty, pretty blatantly, you know, tigers and lions, claw versus heart. And he is, yeah, he's got that hunger in him. The situation is very suspicious. It's, you know, like it's set up very well with Ravenpaw passing out and everything. And I'm glad that you've noted that because he is, he's such a suspicious guy. Like the narrative, he's massive. Um, he has a strong and deep voice. Like I'm very much imagining reading this. I never, I never used to imagine voices as a kid, but now I'm like, just because of, you know, how descriptive this is and just thinking about it in a more constructive context, I'm thinking about, you know, the beast from over the garden wall. Like that would who, that would be who I would imagine voicing Tiger Claw in the, the animated adaptation, which in a better world and a better timeline does exist. It's interesting to me how Firepaw, like, he wants to impress him very blatantly, at least in the beginning when he first meets him. He's like, oh, this is a big, strong warrior. And I'm like, I would be, I would be staying away from this guy. He's, he's pretty, uh, he's pretty scary and tough. But, you know, that is, that makes him more inclined to, you know, think he's cool and like, wow, what a strong warrior, which he is. Yeah, but in contrast to Firepaw, we see Tigerclaw doesn't really care about the cats around him. You know, Firepaw cares so much even to be worrying about the cats in the other clans when he's just joined one. But when Ravenpaw's hurt, Tigerclaw's like, man, it's so annoying that my apprentice is hurt because all my training might go to waste. Like, if he dies, I wasted two months of training. Not if he dies, we've lost a member of the, the clan and somebody that I'm deeply connected to. We see it with Dustpaw. Dustpaw is... Um, you know, heartbroken over the death of his mentor, Redtail. He is having a rough time of it. There was a deep relationship there. And you can see a little bit of it between Lionheart and Greypaw in that apprentice-mentor relationship. But between Ravenpaw and Tigerclaw, it's like 
non-existent and unhealthy i would even say the the power that tiger claw is holding over ravenpaw i would i mean i would call it abusive like ravenclaw's behavior is consistent with like an abused kid which is very sad but it is it is communicated accurately he's you know as we get to the training sections like tiger claw just like demeans him and mocks him and you know he he takes like a jab at rusty in the process as you know kind of like not even tough love because he's just a horrible person and very cruel yeah, when he, yeah, he just calls, um, you know, Ravenpaw, like, useless in anything. He doesn't, like, recognize, he says he should shrug off his pain. And, you know, a true warrior doesn't show that. That's cowardly. And, yeah, just beating him while he's down. There's a point where Greypaw sort of mentions how different Ravenpaw seems from when he was first, you know, made an apprentice. And they grew up together. They're about the same age. The kids are all born at approximately the same time. And it is just heartbreaking from a perspective of, you know, somebody who can recognize abuse in this young character versus like, oh, this is a scared cat. Like, no, Tiger Claws put him through a lot, which also leads into the like, would he even be able to say that Tiger Claw killed Red Tail um, in this abuse state if he saw that happen? Yeah, and I, I wonder if, you know, this is just... I mean, it, it goes pretty much unremarked upon by the other cats, like Firepaw is the one who, who, you know, stands up for him. Of course, like, Graypaw adds, like, a little joke at the end, but that's only after Firepaw in trading says, like, hey, you know, it's it's his injury that's holding him back. Like, don't be so mean. It makes me wonder, also because Graypaw mentions, like, yeah, like, hey, Ravenpaw, you don't even like training usually, but now you seem really miserable and really down mm-hmm. and really frightened out of your little kitty life. Yeah, it is... Because, you know, knowing what happens next with Ravenpaw, I don't know if you do. And I'm again, it's, hmm, you know, I think we've pretty much, at least I'm, I'm resigned to not spoiling super major things. But um, I like how, I like how it's sowing the seeds for him. And I wonder how much of it is just him not being inclined to training and how much of it is just having Tiger Claw as a mentor makes him not like the concept of being a warrior on top of this added new trauma that's happened. Yeah, exactly. Um, Since we've been referring to him as Firepaw and Rusty, do we want to get into that official moment of name change? Of course. What a moment. What an iconic, in every every non-cliche sense of the word, what an iconic moment. Yeah, so after that fight with Longtail, after, you know, Rusty comes into the camp as Rusty, his little collar jingling um, with its little bell, And then he fights Longtail to sort of create his place in the clan. And he is almost taken down by that collar. The collar Mm. is grabbed by Longtail and it is almost choking him when it breaks. And when it breaks is when, you know, the fight ends and Bluestar jumps down and renames him as Firepaw. And right before that, it talks about how his fur looks like fire in the sunlight in this little, you know gathering as the light comes down on him and he wins the battle and he is joined to the clan. There's the moment I was waiting for. There's the, oh, here he is. He looks like fire. Here we go. He's glowing. I'm, I'm glad that it did come. And I'm glad that it came at this climactic moment, defining moment for him as he gets his name, Firepaw. Yeah. And he fights, you know, a, a warrior. He didn't quite beat Greypaw last time, but he didn't lose either. But he you know, wins this battle against Longtail. There's a lot of other stuff going on and, you know, it's not a full fight, but he wins it and he sheds the rust. I was thinking a lot into the, you know, meaning of the name Rusty, this decaying sort of very human thing that's been pulled out of nature. So like we pull iron from nature, we make it just iron and then it rusts and it falls apart. Instead of, you know, I guess living his decrepit kitty pet life, where, you know, he gets neutered and just sort of sits around and eats dry food all day and is lazy. He goes back to nature as fire, but not as a destructive fire that we've seen so far. We will, like, you know, super see as far as I remember. But this fire alone that will save the clan. Yeah, a literal, a literal, like, holy, almost cleansing fire. Yeah, and then he, sh- and he sheds that rust and he becomes firepaw and he is a you know fully an apprentice without a mentor but he's an apprentice yeah i oh before i i do want to talk about his mentor situation because i think that's <laughs> I, I i like it on like a like a straight character level and i also think it's it has the potential to be very funny if you think about it um i like 
I like how, oh, and also on just a reflecting of the, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the first thing before. I love the, I love the ritual nature of this fight. I love how we've had these like clearly defined rituals. Like, you know, you, you share tongues, you um, go on the high rock to say your information, you choose a deputy before moon high, you do all these things that have been passed down and set in stone. And I also like how this, this is a new ritual. This is, there's a phrase where it talks about like right before he and Longtail start fighting, there were no subtle rituals in their fight. And by that, they mean like, you know, there's no like swiping or like, you know, initial like starting things that have been practiced. But you can also read that as there's no subtle rituals. This is still a ritual, but it's it's big and bold and grand and something that's being created as like, you know, he's the one who attacked. Rusty is the first one, soon to be Firepaw, who goes at Longtail. He chooses this. They fight, they rough each other up pretty badly, at least Longtail, who has to go to the medicine cat den. Um, basically, you know, beaten up by, uh, you know, not even a toddler at this point, but like a, like a, mid- like a middle schooler, which is very funny. And he, Rusty, he, he gets his name, but he also does this little thing of when his collar snaps, and you know, it's very ritualized, like Blue Star says these words about Star Clan showing their approval by having his collar rip. I think that's very interesting and very, you know, like she is stopping the fight before he can get roughed up, but also, you know, showing, hey, this is a a physical thing that happened and it's not like a miracle, but we're still taking it as a sign from God. And I think that's very interesting, especially as, you know, StarClan's influence hasn't shown to be. And I like that. I like that it's more subtle than that and it's, you know, up for interpretation, whether that really was you know, something that happened out of divine providence or if it was just a lucky moment that Blue Star took and then mythologized. Yeah, and I think I, we see a lot of Blue Star kind of mythologizing things. Because as we get this description of Redtail and his dead body that's run to camp, it's talked about how he is also a ginger cat. He could have been the fire to save their clan, in theory. But now he's dead. And I wonder if there was a thought process in Blue Star's mind of like, you know, Rusty versus Redtail. There are these red cats. Um, but there's also this moment in his naming that I took specific note of. After she says he's Firepaw, um, it says her eyes flashed briefly as if the words had more meaning for her than Rusty knew. So this idea that Blue Star is kind of creating destiny with this. Like she has pulled him into the clan. She's going to make him who he is eventually. And so she's the one who, is she truly the one who's saving the clan in bringing him in, in finding this fire? I don't know. I like that. And it definitely shows her as a, a girl boss or, you know, <laughs> someone who, who takes her own action and takes, seizes opportunities where she can to, you know, not in like an overtly tyrannical way of like cementing her own power, but she certainly takes moments she can to guide things according to, you know, the way that she sees best. She's like, okay, well, we're down Redtail. I do like that. I do like that. I hadn't thought about that possibility, too, of her thinking about that, of her, but she must have, like, you know, humored the idea that it could have been Redtail, who is her loyal deputy, who has, you know, fought for her for many moons, as they've said. Um, and I also like that, you know, their fire paw and Redtail, they never intersect. As soon as one dies, the other comes, you know, it's, <laughs> neither neither can live while the other survives but yeah i like i like that yeah and i was thinking back on our theory of the tail in the woods being red tails is like this i guess this passing of the torch on who is the fire who will save the clan in Even a way more fire yeah like so if red tail leads him into the woods you know leads him into the woods some spiritual maybe it's just a spiritual red cat but him, you know, guiding Firepaw to join the clan in a way, as his spirit, you know, joins Star Clan, Rusty becomes Firepaw and joins Thunder Clan. Yeah, I, I really like that. I also like that he, again, with the sort of creating rituals as he's, you know, Firepaw's learning how he fits into this clan, he buries the collar. He takes that action. He's like, eh. Get out of here. Yep. And he says completely goodbye to his past life. He enters the the new life full of a lot of a lot of vivid characters. Do we wanna do we wanna talk a little about Longtail? Yeah, let's talk about Longtail. I like I like the um Okay, number one, he inter he interrupts Blue Star, which is 
I feel like that's a no-no. Yeah, that's a pretty big thing. And I think adding the detail about him, like, just being made a warrior, I like that. He's trying to prove himself, too. He's headstrong. He's kind of like a jerk, you know? He's like a, like, the older, older teen. I like that. He would be, he would very much be, like, a troll. I like that. Yeah, he's, like, Tiger Claws, like, little, like, henchmen, it feels like. Yeah. Uh, A little bit. But he's a little, he doesn't quite know his place in the same way. Mm-hmm. So it feels like Tiger Claw has a better control over how he feels about the other cats and can like leverage his power as a more senior warrior. But Longtail is much brasher and like ready for a fight in a different way. He's much less calculating, which makes me like him more than I like Tiger Claw. Um, I think he is fun to watch in his like kind of chaos. Yeah, he's the he's the he's the he's the school bully type, which is very very fun to see in cat form. Yeah, um, we also get a little we we get a little of Sandpaw and Dustpaw. We talked about Dustpaw's relation to Redtail. They're kind of mean too. They're you know they're the they're the other like their age school bullies. Sandpaw really goes hard on the like you're a kitty pet, you're stinky, I don't like you, get out of here, which is. You know, I feel like when the other cats were bringing up their, you know, that, you know, that's a hallmark of her age. She's younger. When the other cats were like bringing up their concerns, they were again pretty valid concerns, which were, you know, the bell, the bell is taken care of and he will grow to have clan scent, especially because, you know, scents are so emphasized in these chapters as he's learning how the clan cats navigate their world. But I think the other thing about Sandpaw that I just thought about is she's the only female apprentice, right? Am I wrong? Oh, yeah. All the other ones are boys. She is, like, on her own in that sense of, like... Um, and there are certainly, like... We got Girl Boss Blue Star. We have Spotted Leaf, who's an awesome medicine cat. We have lots of, you know, great Girl Boss warriors. And and Sandpaw will eventually become a Girl Boss warrior, I would say. But that she sort of has these same ideas in a way that we see Longtail and tiger claw kind of express and lots of other cats in the clan they talk about a ton of warriors sort of being on Longtail side before that battle and it, they you know sort of change their minds after it but sandpaw is still saying that but i wonder how much of it is her trying to hold her own in this you know group of of boy apprentices yeah i i hadn't even i had never thought about that she really is you know yeah and there are only two other apprentices but and then now three with Firepaw, but yeah, she's the only girl. That's got to be. It's got to be tough for Little Sandpaw. And also, I was just gonna say, in like two thousand three, like Girl Boss Aaron Hunter's writing this book. I feel like we've said Girl Boss too many times this episode, <laughs> but I feel like I could really see them trying to push that angle of um, her being the only, you know, female apprentice in that way, and not in a, a not in a bad way. Yeah, but like very, it's very much from a time where there was the token female character. You know, there's the pink Power Ranger. There's, you know, I can't think of a, you know, another like straight up example. But you know, like in a lot of in a lot of like cartoons and everything, and like kids fiction, you know, there's the one the scrappy girl character who has to sort of prove herself. And you know, I think that Sandpaw definitely follows that as as rude as she may be. Yeah. For however, for however rude uh, Sandpaw is, Graypaw, he's so sweet and so goofy. I love him very much. I do too. He's a wonderful, you know, comedic presence who also cares, but he jumps so quickly and he feels so accurately like a child. This um, And I adore it. You know, he at first is like, you don't have warrior blood. You can't be part of a clan. And then he immediately pretty much warms up to Firepaw. And then they are <laughs> best friends. I adore Graypaw. I, I love it. He, whereas uh, Rusty or Firepaw was, you know, he was completely clean to smudge. He was like, yeah, you know, I, I didn't really fight them. I didn't really win. Um, when Sandpaw and Dustpaw are kind of mocking them about after they come back from Border Patrol, uh, Graypaw's like, oh, yeah, oh, the reason we didn't see any of the cats was they didn't dare to show their faces, which was... You know, he's saying that out of sort of jealousy as they're like lording over the fact that they're good hunters and they've been to the gathering. I, I love the interactions here so much between the apprentices. They really do feel like, you know, it feels like when you were a kid and that's how, you know, you had your friends and then you had the ones who you were, you know, always trying to one up. And I think that Graypaw, 
Graypaw fits so well in that, you know, the best friend, the comedic arc. We're talking a lot about archetypes, but I think that's that absolutely fits. And, you know, considering how quickly these books were written, you know, they kind of had to rely on those archetypes. If, you know, you have the shy kid, you have the funny kid, you have the, the mean girls of which Despaw is one. And... Yeah, um, the, that point we've already brought it up, but when Graypaw, like, over-exaggerates his injury after, you know, or not even injury, but he, like, starts, like, going real lopsided, and he's like, oh, yeah, like, I'm even more off-balance than Ravenpaw. <laughs> like, that was his own way. He didn't challenge Tigerclaw directly, but he definitely, you know, he in his own way is trying to make Ravenpaw feel more comfortable, which I think is very sweet. The only The only weird moment with, oh, well, before we get to the weird moment, I also like how... I like how even as rambunctious and class clowny Graypaw is, he shows such respect to the elders. I like that. But what I what I think is a little weird is his comments towards Spotted Leaf. Yeah, yeah. I also thought that was weird when they're talking about how pretty Spotted Leaf is. It was the phrase was younger and prettier than most, which I think number one, he's a baby. He's just made a he's six months himself. How is he going to call her young? Which and also, like, how has he met most, and I'm assuming most means, like, most other medicine cats. Then I sort of figured, oh, he must have, you know, overheard it from other warriors, which is, you know, I don't I don't like that because it sort of goes against the whole sense of community we've got. And it feels very, you know, haha, <laughs> cat calling. Um, not, not to, like, a, to too big of a degree, but it was still very strange. Um, also considering, I looked it up and... Um, hmm. I was also going to bring in something else about like parenting, about how Sandpaw is potentially Redtail's uh, daughter, and that could make her attitude also a little more, uh, a little more grounded or explained. But it's so hard because the authors have said so many conflicting things, especially about like parentage and like age, which I think I'm going to try not to delve in too much of the outside stuff. But Spotted Leaf was Redtail's littermate, and he'd like served Blue Star for many moons. So how young can she really be? Yeah, that's a really good point. The other thing that I wanted to bring up is, and correct me if I remember this wrong, but medicine cats are mateless. They're like vestal virgins, um, and they, you know, are celibate for their lives and are just medicine cats, and they're that spiritual connection to Star Clan generally. And this this becomes a plot point, you know, in later series, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, More room for drama. But it seems weird to me that Graypaw is, like, talking about how pretty she is when, you know, that's not her role in the clan at all in becoming a medicine cat. Yeah, it is... It is very weird, but I, I do like how it sets up that joke about now Darkstripe is neither young nor pretty. I can, <laughs> I can, I can forgive it for that, which is very cute and very funny. Yeah. No, I agree. And Graypaw's also just like so innocent and silly that, you know, I could, I can see a like child making this joke. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing that I really love about Graypaw is how he brings Firepaw into the world on the level that he is on because they're both apprentices and he introduces him to you know a lot of the vocabulary of the world a lot of what's going on and they you know eventually train together um where we are right now Firepaw doesn't have a mentor yet he's being jointly mentored by Lionheart and Tigerclaw which, which is, is a whole situation <laughs> it's very like an odd couple I like that like Tigerclaw's already very as we can see, well, he hides it well, but, you know, you can infer that he is very jealous of Lionheart for getting the deputy mm-hmm. position. And now he has joint custody of a kitty pet, which is just very funny. I I do I do like it because it speaks to the more, you know, communal aspect of it. You know, it takes a village to raise a child, but it is it is very funny. It is very funny to have that sort of dynamic going on and furthering the tension and I think possibility for humor between uh, Lionheart and Tigerclaw. But there's also that, like, darker presence behind it that I kept noticing, which is they don't have enough warriors or apprentices. They're uh, there now that Redtail is dead. There are too many warriors. Um, no, sorry, too many apprentices per warrior. Um, there aren't enough to train everyone right now. And so that's a real problem that they're facing. Both they, you know, needed more apprentices, so they have more warriors in the future, but they don't have enough warriors to train them. Yeah, I think I made I made a comment when we were talking about the allegiances about how Oh, you know, this is, I mean, certainly not for like Wind Clan and River Clan, which have like one or two cats named. But I said, 
I remember saying that, oh, you know, for ThunderClan, certainly this isn't all the cats that there are. Like, you know, it's listed some, but I feel like I remember, like, reading about all the cats, like, mentioned as, you know, Rusty walks into the camp and we talk about, like, this kind. And, you know, I think maybe not every description of a cat maps onto one that's named in Allegiances. But then they make that comment about how there are, you know, there are the most, the fewest apprentices they've ever had. And certainly the only apprentices, at least initially, are Graypaw, Ravenpaw, Sandpaw, and Dustpaw. So it very well could be there are only... Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight warriors in the in the whole clan. Yeah, and they are, you know, the ones who don't have apprentices all seem to be pretty young. And that's why they don't, is that they have to figure out how to be warriors on their own before they can train someone else to be a warrior. Yeah, I think uh, maybe in the later books, there's like some, some like set date or, you know, recommended date before, um, I think maybe six moons before you can take on an apprentice. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a, it, it just certainly everything. I like how this book, everything sort of relevance, you know, the, um, the deputy is one we've been introduced to before and is also Graypaw's mentor, which is, you know, we're very much tying, you know, the cats we see. And even though there are a lot of cats that are introduced here, all of them have relevance to the plot and are pretty well fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, exactly. Despite how few there are. I think a big thing that I want to talk about as we get into chapter five is the transition. And we've talked some about chapter five, but the transition of Firepaw's sense of smell. Because in those initial chapters, you know, he can tell cat smells that are different from the home cast and a little bit of stuff like that. But as they, you know, patrol the territory and he learns where everything is, he starts being able to distinguish you know, individual cat smells. He talks about how Shadow Clan smells different from Thunder Clan and all of the clans smell different from each other. And he starts, there's a point where it says, you know, he can figure out Blue Star's smell or that a two leg had been by, but not recently. And I think that does so much to put us in the mindset of the cats because humans aren't very, you know, smell based people. Like if my mom's making chocolate chip cookies, I'll know she's making chocolate chip cookies, (laughs) but like, it's not as specific as that. We talked a lot about senses last episode, but this one for me is really connected to the cat world in a way that the seeing and the feeling are a little bit different. Yeah, it is really. I mean, I don't have much more to say than that. I like how the sensory stuff is, you know, it brings us into the cat world. Something I think that also happens in like chapter five during the whole training thing um, is when they talk about like the differences between hunting for a mouse versus a rabbit and Lionheart sort of like quizzes them on it. And it's, it's stuff that like, you know, it is, it is true. Like it's, I mean, not that I've hunted, hunted a mouse or hunted a rabbit before in any capacity, but I like how, I like how all of the things that they're saying are so tied to the physical world. And so like, oh, of course, yes. Like you would want to be like upwind or they can't smell wind clan because the wind is blowing a different direction. And you know, all these specific, um, very grounded, natural things that we're learning alongside Firepaw, but make the world that much more, uh, you know, that much more real. Yeah, and I really commend the writers on that, especially in this, you know, book that took three months to write. They really flesh out how the world is sensed, which is not something we get in a lot of narratives told by humans. Yeah, and oh, there's this one thing that, um, again, just a very... A very real thing that I didn't realize how grounded it was, was that um, they they do this often as cats get injured in the books, but Spotted Leaf mentioned like getting cobwebs to stop the bleeding. I'm like, oh, that's cute. That's like a very little, almost whim- one of the more whimsical details in this series of like, oh, gather the cobwebs and the dewdrops. <laughs> but I remember later on, I must have been maybe around like 16 or 15, a little after I, yeah, like just a few years after I'd stopped really reading Warriors, but it was still like, you know, in my mind, as it will forever be. <laughs> um, there was an Agatha Christie book where an older an older character was talking about, um, oh, you know, back in the old days, like, kids, we used to go out into the forest and we used to, like, if we got a cut, we would put cobwebs on it. And I remember being so surprised, like, wow, they, here's an English writer talking about something that actually happened. So I wonder if, you know, I wonder if, if the Aarons did that as kids. It also, it seems very unsanitary and very hard to do. Like, how much could a cobweb actually help, you know, a person? It would have to be pretty big. You have to watch for the spider. But it's something that I'm just, 
and I'm sure a lot more of the medicine stuff as we see it will be, if not at least a one-to-one, at least be partially grounded in reality. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think we see it. We'll see it with the poppy seeds later. Um, is when I specifically remember because as a child I told my mother I couldn't eat poppy seed bagels because they would make me too sleepy. Um, <laughs> but I certainly think we will continue to see that. We bring up Blue Star's lost kits very early on, and I see how that's I see how that's you know it's 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 more relevant to bring up because these books were at least from what you've said it seems like they're all written pretty much simultaneously at least the first three and you know in not to super spoil but at least in the third. I think the third features this sort of development and dives into Blue Star's past. Um, but all of the books will sort of feature this, you know, this action that she suffered. She has suffered a lot. We talk about when at her introduction and in her description in the allegiances, it talks about like the scars she has and, you know, a big scar on her back, kind of like a tiger claw scar that kind of marks him. But yeah, they talk about how she lost her kits right before she became the deputy. So it doesn't only bring up this sense of loss that she has and sort of more depth to this um, extremely competent and well-respected, you know, aside from long tail, you know, shouting stuff out during a, during a, during a state of the union address um, leader, but it also shows the loss that she suffered and brings up her sort of, you know, the circumstances surrounding that loss is that they happened right before she became deputy. So again, with not just the whole, laying the foundation for Tiger Claw and Ravenpaw and, you know, surrounding Redtail's death. It also lays a lot of stuff that will be very important to Blue Star very early. Yeah, and we start to get that, you know, she is more than just a leader. There's a lot more to her, which whenever we get to Blue Star's prophecy, I'm really excited because that was my favorite <laughs> one. Um, but is learning about her life and everything that has gotten there before her. I think we often see leaders in you know, children's book series that don't have a lot behind them or it takes you a long time to figure it out. Or, you know, authors will put out, you know, statements much later about who they are. But we're <laughs> J.K. Rowling, <laughs> Dumbledore gay. Yeah, <laughs> Dumbledore. That was exactly what I was referencing. Um, but from these first, you know, in the fourth chapter, we are already hearing about what has happened to Blue Star that has gotten her where she is. Yeah, and it is... Again, I'm just I'm I'm very excited to continue reading about all of these all these surprisingly complex from the outset characters. You know, like I said, they do they do fall into these archetypes of, you know, like the you know, the um <laughs> what is it? Futurama has this uh the show where they make fun of Ally McBeal called Single Female Lawyer. You know, they have the <laughs> the girl boss. We have the um the the sort of like tomboyish or at least like you know rascal girl one we have the funny best friend we have the pure of heart um kind towards all hero we have the quiet kid we have the um the suspicious guy we have the um model warrior mentor guy with lion heart but all of them are they are so well situated in this world and most of them at least the ones that we're going are going to are going to stick around are very um well-developed and have a lot of interiority and hints at things going uh, a lot deeper than the surface. All right. Any, any other things we want to bring up before we wrap up? I have, a, I have a few things actually. Um, I just have one, but do you have the warrior code in any of your stuff? Cause I realized we didn't explicitly talk about it. Um, but I don't actually have anything else really besides that. Um, I, I am, Oh, I would, I would also love to, maybe even not for the podcast, sorry listeners, um, or maybe for bonus episodes, I would love to read the collection of short stories that all revolve around a specific part of the warrior code. Oh, I, yeah, I agree. Again. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is, it is interesting to see sort of the beginnings of these, you know, not told as like, here is, you know, commandment three of the warrior code, but all of these things that Lionheart or Greypaw sort of mention as like, oh, here's a clan custom to like, the apprentices feed the elders or like here's a clan custom that everyone takes care of the kits. I like that they're brought up in that, especially as we're being not really bombarded, but sort of introduced to a lot of new information and new terms. Speaking of uh, terms, I like how um, I went to the wiki page for uh, Tiger Claw because I remembered reading this somewhere and having this information <laughs> in my mind. I want to bring it up early because they originally, the Aaron's wanted to name him Hammer Claw. Stop. Hammerclaw time. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. But then they realize that cats don't know what hammers are. Hammers are. 
That's true. They have a knowledge of... But how do they know what tigers are? They, I know. Well, that's... And lions. They do, which is... It's interesting to... The bounds of cat knowledge are very interestingly drawn. I do like how they talk. We get to see the monster and the thunder path, which is so interesting and cool to see those through cat eyes. And of course, it'll be a very important location later on. It's very foreboding now. And even to even to Fireball, who's lived among two legs, this still... Yeah, sends them into shock. Um, I also, I also like. I know that you wanted to bring up the sort of environmentalist themes around two leg intervention and two leg activity. Yeah, and so I was thinking, you know, when they go see the Thunder Path, they talk about the tree cut place and about how the trees are cut down and how these, you know, trees around the road and around the path have been planted by people because they've cut them out down, and that it's really sort of been detrimental to their territory into the territory of all of the clans is this you know human interaction um, environmental narrative that isn't huge now but plays a much bigger part as we go on Mm -hmm. i like how the world sort of expands as the you know books go on obviously because we have more knowledge but we're very rooted in thunder clan right now and the book series spans you know beyond thunder clan beyond clans in different locations in different time periods forward and backwards and the the themes of outside forces get bigger. It's not just uh, so far we've just seen battles between Raven, Raven. I almost thought Raven. <laughs> Raven. I called in my notes. In my notes, I had at one point written down River Clan as Robert Clan, and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say it, it feels very Thunder Clan versus River Clan so far. Those are the big battles we've seen. Even though I would say the overarching, you know battles in this series from what i remember are thunder clan versus shadow clan yeah and we get a few inklings of that with you know like oh shadow clan we get more of like oh watch out for shadow clan from Greypaw, which i'm imagining is one of his little like if Greypaw was an npc that would be one of his little dialogue <laughs> bubbles watch out for shadow clan yeah the the forces outside make their way in after we get this sort of basic knowledge of the clans yeah, and I, I like, I think everything is being set up. Again, all of the dominoes are being set up very well. We're being introduced to a lot of new information and everything. I think Firepaw's even like, there's one line where he's like, Firepaw was having trouble remembering all these names. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like how we're starting, we're, we're on a very like good gradual slope to a lot of things that are, I forgot how much was introduced and then how much happens even in this first book. And, you know, we're getting all of these these new rituals surrounding ThunderClan and their interaction with the other clans and the naming ceremony and everything. But I think it's still, it's not just like a lot of like, you know, high fantasy or even just fantasy can fall flat with that with like neglecting the heart of it. But I think that this does a good job of, of um, you know, expressing how the clan is such a community and not bombarding us with like, you know, like rigid tenants and, you know, like, like uh, explaining us, like you know, here is the here is this dent, here is that dent, here. Everything is well woven into dialogue, and we're learning about the emotional stuff and you know characterization as much as we're learning about the physical places. And I think a good, a really good and sweet moment of that that I just sort of I had to close read for a second, which is Rusty is given the name Firepaw by Blue Star in this like you know the speech, which is very wrote. It's like I name you Firepaw, like. You will be an apprentice of ThunderClan. And then everyone sort of... Oh, no, they don't shout his name yet. Yes, Blue Star. Um, so Blue Star says, Yeah, from this day forward, until he has earned his warrior name, this apprentice will be called Firepaw in honor of his flame-colored coat. You know, it's very ritualized. She, like, touches his nose. And she says this phrase that, you know, like the <laughs> the invocation to summon all the cats to gather. It's very ritualized and very, you know, set in stone. And then... The text keeps calling him Rusty for a little while. It says, you know, after he gets that name without hesitating, Rusty turned and kicked dust. And then uh, you hear, hey, Firepaw, as Graypaw calls him that. And it still, it says Rusty heard Graypaw's friendly voice behind him. And then he says Firepaw and he thinks Firepaw to himself and he feels it. And I like that there's that gap between the sort of like ritual and then the friendly calling of it. Like he is, he is Firepaw because he feels at home now, because he's accepted by these cats and because he is part of ThunderClan now. Yeah. And I think it's really warm that in these chapters, he finds his home and he finds his place. 
Um, something that I don't think he ever felt with his owners at the two like place. Yeah, it's it's very sweet, and I think it's a great a great way to sort of round out his becoming part of the clan. That you know, despite all of these sort of ominous things we're getting of you know the um, everything with the tension with Tiger Claw and Ravenpaw and uh, Redtail's death, we get this moment of genuine community and this moment of reaching out on a personal level and really making him feel part of the clan. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening to Hooked on a Feline. We hope you enjoyed it and will join us again next week. This podcast is a labor of love for us, but we would not be here without the help of our amazing friends. Thanks to Ian for our music, Aiden and Suzanne for being beta listeners, and to everyone who has gasped in surprise and joy when we pitched this silly idea. If you have the time, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or tweet at us at Hooked on Feline. We would love to hear what you think. See you next week, and may Star Clan light your path.